I hire ghostwriters, photographers, professional editors, critiques, book designers, whatever the client wants and needs. Welcome to the Life Story Coach Podcast, where you'll hear interviews, tips, and advice on the craft and business of personal history and life story writing with your host, Amy Woods Butler. Hi guys, welcome to the show. This is where we talk about growing our life story business. Clients come to us because they want to record their stories and their memories to share them with their family and friends and with future generations. And they need our help to write that book or to make that video or audio. If you listened to the last episode, episode 47, you heard me speaking with Patricia Hamilton about a book that she produced for her community in California. And it was a book where all of the residents were invited to submit a piece of writing about their life there. And it was such a hit that the people who did not submit something talked Patricia into doing a second volume. Um, if you missed that and want to listen to how she got that all together, used volunteers, sold out the print run on the first day. Go back and listen to episode 47. Today, we're shifting gears. We're still talking to Patricia, but now the topic is her long career as a book publisher. And as a publisher of small run books, many of these are life stories, either that clients have written themselves or that a life story professional, someone like us, has written for a client, and now they need to have it produced into an actual book. So without further ado, let's jump into today's interview. You are a bona fide publisher. So you have Park Place Publications, and I think you've had it for at least a couple of decades, if not longer. Is that right? Correct. Right. And you have published, what, 150 plus books? Yeah, 200 by now, I think. Tell us a little bit about the company. Um, I'm assuming it's for books with maybe... um, smaller runs than you know than if you if you're looking at like a random house or a, or a penguin or something like that so tell us a little bit about um about what you do as a publisher yes as a publisher um i work with private clients and uh it's the self-publishing service that i provide and i have clients all over the country and even a couple in uh, foreign countries due to the internet um, usually I tell, I give a free consult and when they call me, they, uh, want to know what I do about their, you know, their book. They have questions about writing or any stage. And I said, well, when you come, come with a list of questions you have about pu- publishing process. And if you're working on something, tell me what you've got, text and images and what you visualize, what type of a book you want, soft cover, hard cover, 8 by 10, 9 by 12, whatever. And um, I'll t- we'll talk about who does what, how long it takes, and what the cost will be. So I actually do even more than that if they haven't even started yet and want to know if it's a feasible idea. We go on the Internet and do a little research to see if there's similar books on Amazon, bigger or better than theirs, or if they actually do have a market for it. Uh, Generally, I don't take people who want to make a lot of money with the book because I found that it takes um, a unique book and a lot of time and investment. I told a woman yesterday about her husband's novel that she could plan on spending 20 grand minimum to try to make it 
sell across the U.S. <laughs> so I love to work with just private clients and um, make nice books for them. And about five years ago, I realized that about 30 to 35% of my business was memoir. And then I had grandchildren, and I thought, well, I need to do mine. So I got interested in um, guided autobiography. Someone had sent me a link to um, Cheryl Svensson, who runs the program now, Dr. Beer and His Past. And that got me going on uh, specializing in story gathering and and that's what I mainly do today. So when you say story gathering, that's um, are you working with private clients who want to write their own memoir and they're coming to you to help them actually get the story down? Or um, are you also, well, and this might be a second part of a question, but are you also doing books for people like me and, you know, other life story writers who are hired by clients to write their stories for them, and then we need to find somebody to actually produce the book? Um, actually, there's three different things, ways I'm involved with story gathering. Uh, you mentioned two. One is um, clients that do come to me, maybe they've already got their story done and uh, want it published. And so the, those are with, authors who have already written something and they're coming to you because they want to get it out in the world. Right. Okay. But at the same time, I people come that need a ghostwriter or someone to go into their homes. Mm-hmm. And um, I, have, I hire ghostwriters and people to do that here locally. And then uh, when APH was involved, I would send I get calls from the Bay Area and uh, locate someone up there, a personal historian. So I refer from out of the area uh, to professional people. But I've also done, uh, I think, three books for APHers in the past uh, from the Bay Area that had clients. And I published the books for them and get them printed and put them on Amazon and um, get them personal copies to give their family or to sell at book signings, whatever they want. Okay, and just for the listeners who may not be familiar with it, the APH is the the Association of Personal Historians, which we've mentioned before in this podcast. It was a professional organization representing people like us who do life story work, um, and it was around for about 20 years, and they just closed down in 2017. So your involvement with that was, um, it's, that's interesting. Your, your business model sounds very interesting. So you were not the one actually going and sitting down with clients and doing the interviews and writing up the books, but people would come to you because they knew of you as a book publisher. And then you were, um, you were the liaison between, say, somebody who wanted to have their story written and a, um, a life story writer. Yes, and, and even more so. I'm, I sort of fulfill the, well, I do fulfill the position of, say, you're building a house. There's a general contractor who hires trades. Mm. So I hire ghostwriters, photographers, professional editors, critiques, book designers, whatever uh, the client wants and needs. Or if it's a simple book, I do the book design. And I do my main work that I uh, do personally is book page design and layout. That's what I enjoy the most. Say a life story writer has um, has a manuscript and they have all the photos and everything and they're ready to have that 
produced for their for their client, but it's a client who doesn't want to have anything go out on Amazon or you know they don't want um, an ISBN number or anything like that. So it's it's not really published because they don't want any kind of um, publicity for it, but they just want to produce something that's for their family and friends. Then you would be a person to call to have that book, um, the layout and design work, and then the the printing and the binding done. Is that correct? Correct. Oh, that is such a good resource because people are always <laughs> asking me, you know, where do where do I go? You know, when I have this done, where do I go? And Patricia, you know, obviously there's everything, you know, it runs the gamut from blurb, you know, using an online service that has templates right. all the way to having, um, you know, there's, there's – um, John Bennett is a man in St. Louis who does um, who does design work and the sort of project management. It sounds like you offer that too. So if somebody doesn't want to worry about picking out the type of paper and picking out all of that thing and then overseeing that production, because it can be pretty scary, especially when you know people are spending thousands of dollars to have not the writing done and not the interviewing done, but actually to have the book produced. Um, it can be pretty nerve wracking if you don't know what you're doing. So that's a service that you provide. <laughs> yes, I understand it terribly. Um, you know, through the years that I've been doing it, um, of course, now I have vetted printers. Mm-hmm. But um, some of my clients come to me with books they've had printed themselves, and uh, I shudder when I look at them. <laughs> oh, so that's interesting. What are some of the marks of an inferior job? Because if you you know if if people aren't in that industry, sometimes it's hard to recognize, yeah, or maybe you know it. It's sort of like porn. You know bad stuff when you see it, but but you can't maybe define it. So so some of the bad jobs that you've seen, what makes it bad? Well, it, there's two things that ha- are main considerations for making a book look bad. One is the interior layout and design. Um, because of, you know, the computer capabilities now, people are doing it on their own using just Word, Microsoft mm-hmm. Word, and um, putting it right up into a book through uh, um, Amazon, KDP, and CreateSpace, and other, you know, Ingram, and there's a lot of those places where you can get a book printed, but they don't put a table of contents or a title page or a verso title page or uh, an introduction or chapters start on the left-hand side of the page or there's it's really an art to make uh, interior pages look professional and you can't just put up a word doc and use a Microsoft Word is a word processing program it's not a page layout program you can't make a good book with the word processing uh, I, I second that. Take. Yeah, I, I agree. It's it's kind of <laughs> horrific when people think that. But something that I've encountered, and this was with a client who owned a printing company. So he mm-hmm. had he had people who knew um, how to do layout work, 
But what they did, they knew how to do brochure layout work and um, right. newsletter type layout work, which is a completely different animal than laying out the interior mm-hmm. of a book. And so when he, you know, he decided he was going to save a few pennies and have somebody in house do the layout. And then I had to walk, walk this person through like, no, you know, you don't have whatever three quarter inch uh, paragraph indents and, you know, like it just, and, and the white space. I mean, there's, there's all kinds mm-hmm. of elements of, of balance on the page for a book that are completely different from, say, even magazine layout. Um, so I'm, I'm, I hear your pain. I, it's, um, <laughs> yeah, and I, that's one thing that um, you can really see, you can really tell when somebody is, it, it's a do, uh, DIY job. Um, and it right. can, and it can really um, impact the reading pleasure. Because, uh, you know, what I tell my clients is, the best book design is one that disappears into the background so that you just have a really pleasant reading experience. That's a good way to put it, Amy, because um, what novices generally do is use lots of fonts on one book and you're only supposed to use one font family. Uh, Maybe you can use one sans serif and one serif, but they get carried away and it just looks like a patchwork quilt of fonts. <laughs> right. There's all the comic sans and the papyrus. And <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> Franklin uh, Bowl. <laughs> right. <laughs> so if a, um, if a life story writer came to you and said, Hey, I, you know, I have this manuscript. What, what what's the process for that? How do you, if, if they really want to hand over the whole, the project management part of it, not right. just, not just having you design the book, what does that look like? And, um, and if you can share like any of the costs that they can ex- expect, and I, I know that's a big question. So, um, but yeah. if they come to you, what does the conversation look like? Okay, so say a life um, story gatherer calls me and she has a manuscript and some images. I need to know, but again, it's the same consult I would have with a private person. What have you got and what do you want? Um, I need to know if her client wants soft cover, hard cover. Many times they don't know, and I say, fine, I'll, I'll get a price for you. And then I have a contract, of course, but... My minimum fee for any job is 2019.50, actually, and that covers everything: ISBN, um, cover design, etc. Unless they want something really exotic on the cover, it's going to if it's going to take me more than three hours, then we need to get a professional in there to layer the Photoshop things a little bit finer. But that mm. doesn't happen very often. Most people with life stories want to a photograph of grandma on the cover or a family portrait or a collage of their own life sequence of dates. So that's pretty standard and included in the price. And does that price go up based on the the page count or the word count of the manuscript? Yes. Yeah, that was the, my minimum. And then uh, I need to see the, the word doc and some of the images because uh, people don't really know about high-definition, high-resolution images as opposed to what they grab off the Internet. Again, it's a matter of being educated on what you need. Um, You can see a beautiful picture on your computer screen, and those are measured in um, light. Those are light waves that you're looking at. And there's a when you go into Photoshop and you look at an image 
it'll be measured in DPI dots per inch. So to, for a picture to look excellent on the screen, the, you don't need more than 72 dots per inch because it's light rays that you're looking at. But when it uh, translates into uh, the printing process, you're talking about drops of ink going on a page and being absorbed by the page. And you need 300 dots per inch. Right. Very big difference from a yeah, 72 mm-hmm. DPI ping or PNG versus a 300 DPI JPEG, right? Um, right. So now well, if, if, and do you do any of the photo work yourself? If, if somebody has hard copies, do you, um, can you also do that part of it, the scanning so that you yeah. have it at the proper resolutions? Oh, yes, I don't send that out. I do that in-house. Mm-hmm. So the price changes varying uh, page count for the book, number of photos. Then if there's other services, some people say, oh, I don't need an edit. I've had, had it edited by my sister or a school teacher I know or somebody. But I still, when I get the project, I read the first few pages and point out any discrepancies to the client so that they know that, well, maybe it has been edited, but maybe not properly, and they might want to invest a little bit more, because once you get a book in your hand, you don't want people saying, oh, I found a couple typos. Did you see those? Right. (laughs) (laughs) Right. But again, it's up to the client, and another important thing is the the cover design. If you're going to put it on Amazon, um, you need to make a huge title so that it shows up on the thumbnail when it's on the on the screen there and can be read. Oh, I never thought about that. Right. I mean, yeah. most of my clients, um, very, very few of them want to make them available for sale. Um, but there have mm-hmm. been one or two. And, and I think probably for anybody who's in this business, you're going to be approached by somebody who wants to write not a, um, a traditional life story book for their family, but somebody at mm-hmm. some point is going to approach you and say, Oh, I have, you know, I have a great idea for a business book or, you know, or can you help me with even fi- I've been approached by people with fiction, um, who want to have those done, although I have not worked with those people yet. Um, but yeah, so I, it, it makes sense to know probably a little bit more than what you're going to need to know for a typical life story client. Um, now, the the books that you do for um, that are commercially available, um, those have ISBNs. And then are, do they also have like the Library in Congress um, catalog number? Um, sometimes, not always. It depends on the book. Always, of course, for academic books. Mm. Um, the Library of Congress, to, when they issue a number, they want you to send them a copy of the book to actually go in the Library of Congress. So I can do that for people, but um, I guess they're getting inundated and with all the self-published books, so I expect those uh, rules may change, but I don't know how they would screen out, you know, things. Maybe they have to build a new building. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I never thought of that. Yeah. yeah. Because there are so many more new titles coming out every year than there have been right. before. 
right? So yeah. why don't you talk yeah, a little bit about that? I mean, you've you've been doing this for quite a few years now. What have you seen much in the evolution from a technological standpoint in how printing has changed, or if it's become you know more available to more people? Is it more economical now to um, to have really small print runs done and things like that? Well, now you don't even have to print any books. You can get it right on Amazon and not print one book. And you can order one book for yourself or any number that you want. Um, well, it's just, Amy, I won't ask how old you are, but you know I've been doing this for 35 years, and I didn't start until I was in my 30s. <laughs> so way back when, um, it was the light box and a paste up and the exacto knives and then it went to a printer who took a picture of it and made plates and uh, then it was the offset printing and that's where the the phenomena of people having unsold books in their garage came from mm, you had right. to uh, the printing press was a complicated is still a complicated the offset printing press and it needs um, experienced printers to run the machine. So you had to run a at least a 500 book print run. It would cost the same. That's the minimum you could run the price for 500. If you only wanted 400, you still paid the 500 price because the setup was the entire, the biggest by far cost of a print run. The paper and the binding was very small because that was done by machines. So when I came to this little town where I live on the Monterey Peninsula and started my business here, there was a woman who just wanted 200 and she didn't want the 500. So I located a local printer. He printed the pages and then she had to drive them about an hour up into um, South San Francisco area to a bindery. And there aren't even any more binderies around now, except the ones that uh, help do uh, library books for them. And probably in bigger cities they have them, but so to have them bound. But now, and so it was a big, costly process, very costly. She, uh, but now with um, print on demand, you don't have the only paper you normally get to choose from is cream colored or white. Although Ingram distribution has uh, three grades of paper for color books, not for black and white books, but for color books, they do a really good job. So I don't think I would be in business today if it wasn't for print on demand and uh, the new digital age of Amazon selling books, because the old standard of printing 500 and then getting them into bookstores, I mean, there aren't hardly any bookstores anymore and people are not going to book signings. Mm. That's why I, you know, I really counsel people against thinking they're going to sell a lot of books. There's only three criteria for making money selling a book, really. One, of course, the first one is you have to make a good book that's timely and in is in need, you know, find a need and fill it. And number two is it must be, the content must be directed toward a targeted audience. I have so many people that tell me, when I ask them, well, who is your audience? Oh, everybody will want to read this book. It's great. <laughs> I say, okay, let's get to number three. Um, how are you going to reach these people? Oh, yeah. <laughs> there used to be a lot more targeted 
um, print things you could do, you know, like different magazines. You could go to a magazine stand and there still are magazines, but nothing like there used to be. There would be so many like sport magazines you could send things to. And now with the internet, I don't know what kind of a chance you have of even getting noticed from what I hear. It just goes right into the round file. And that brings up a good point, at least in my experience, the vast majority of the people come to me and they know that they just want a, they want a book only for their family or, you know, maybe right. for the, some of their friends. But every once in a while, you'll have, you'll have the situation that you just described where somebody will come and say, mm-hmm. I've got a, you know, my life has been fascinating. It's going to be a great right. story. Uh, occasionally, people will even think that, you know, that you're going to do it for free for them, which which always makes oh, me yes, laugh a little that. bit. Right, right. Um, but I think it's our it's our responsibility um, when we're encountered with that. So if if we are a life story professional, I think it's our responsibility to be very clear with people that that it's two different types of books that we're talking about. So the the kind that. Any uh, anybody can do, and I think it's wonderful for their families when they do it. Is a life story book, but it's a completely different animal to write a book that's intended for a publication. And I think it's our um, it's sort of our, our moral obligation to let them know that that's not what we are going to be doing with them, unless of course there's life story writers out there who are experts in publishing and in building an author platform and in coaching somebody how to write the type of book that is going to be sellable to a publisher. Um, Or even if they want to self-publish, but they think they're going to reach a really big audience, I think we just have to have very candid conversations with them and um, help them align their expectations with what the product is going to be. Um, Because it's, you know, it it can be kind of heartbreaking when somebody realizes, oh, wait, not everybody's going to want to read about your, about your life, even if it's been very exciting. And, and it's, you know, and, and maybe they need to go and find a different kind of professional to help them with that kind of book too, or at least with the publication part of that, you know, the, the advertising and the, like you said, reaching, Mm -hmm. reaching a readership, um, so um, yeah, that it's it's an interesting phenomenon, and like I said, for in my experience, most people don't think that and don't expect that. But there have been a few that have, that I've come across that do want that. So I'm glad that you brought that up. And that does it for our interview with Patricia Hamilton. Remember, this is a two-parter. So if you missed the first episode, go back and listen to episode number 47. One thing I'd like to add to the topic of publishing, which in our case is really a misnomer because most of our private clients aren't going to want to have any kind of publicity or marketing for their book. They're, they're not out to sell their books. So really, we should be calling it book production. And Patricia brought up a very good point. With the advent of print-on-demand, we can help our clients produce books very inexpensively. But I think I think it's also important to keep in mind that we can go the other route too. They can have books in any kind of paper with any kind of binding they want as long as they're willing to make the investment. Um, so if somebody wants three-quarter calfskin leather with custom end papers and Smythe's own binding, 
we can get that for them. Uh, you can spend $20 per book or you can spend $200 or more per book and everything in between. So I think it's so important to give those options to the clients and not automatically assume that they're going to want what's most economical. I want to make sure that they know what all of their options are and how much each of those cost, and then they can make an informed decision based on what they want their book to look like and feel like when they get it in their hand. So then you go out and you find the book producer who can produce what they want. We want to make sure that they get what they're dreaming of getting. If you want to see links to everything that we talked about on today's show, head over to thelifestorycoach.com and look for episode 48. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. And until next time, go out and save someone's story.